welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be. Welcome back to the Dads with Daughters podcast, where we bring you guests to help you be active participants in your daughter's lives, raising them to be strong, independent women. I am so excited today to be able to bring you a uh, someone that I think is going to bring some really great value to the conversation. We're going to be talking to Adam Simpson today, who is the president and chief executive officer for the EW Scripts Company. Now, if you don't know what EW Scripts is, you might think of, oh, the Scripps Spelling Bee. But Scripps is a media corporation that has many, many television stations across the United States. There's some other media outlets, and we may talk a little bit about that too, about what Scripps kind of entails. But I am really excited to be able to talk about this because we're going to be talking about not only Adam as a father, but we're going to be talking also about media literacy and what we can do to better be able to help our own daughters to be literate about the media that they're seeing and kind of sift through the, the melu, the mess that is out there to find the, the true things that are out there as well. Adam, thanks so much for being here today. Chris, I'm so glad to join you. I always start these interviews with an opportunity to be able to delve a little bit deeper into you as a dad. And the first and the first question that I always ask is, I want to turn the clock back in time. I know you've got two daughters and they are 11 and 14. So I want to go back in time, maybe 14 and a half years or so, to that first moment that you found out that you were going to be a dad to a daughter. Talk to me about that and tell me about that experience. I was really excited. I always wanted to have at least one daughter. I was doubly blessed to have two. So when I first found out that my wife, Sherry, and I were going to have a baby girl, I think we were frankly quite satisfied. It's interesting because so many people will ask, well, did you want also a boy? Or, I mean, there was a now we're sort of past that point, but there was a period of time where people would even say, you're going to try again for a boy. And quite frankly, no, that was just never something that that I felt like we needed to do. You know, I, I don't really see much of a difference with respect to my expectations of having two daughters versus a, a boy and a girl or, or two boys. My daughters are both so very different, but they really complete our family. And even going back to that moment, I just think about it with you know, just incredible joy and satisfaction. You know, I smile when you said they're so very different because I think of my own daughters and how very vastly different they are as well. And as a father, you have to surf that wave and figure out for yourself, okay, how do I balance being a father to two different personalities that are into different things um, while I'm a busy person as well? So talk to me about balance and how do you balance that? How do you balance not only the the one-on-one interactions and, and being able to allow for the individuality of your daughters to shine, but at the same time, balance the professional role? You're in a very public role in a very public company. So you have this public persona that you have to maintain, but then you also have to go home and, and be a dad and do all the things that that entails. You know, it's funny. The answer to your question, how do I balance it? I guess I'd say best I can. And that's a very subjective or even qualitative answer. And I don't mean it to be a cop-out, but sometimes I think I do a pretty good job and other times I think I'm a failure. And it just depends on the occasion and the day. And I think, I hope that that's probably similar to the way most of your listeners feel who are trying to balance multiple things in their lives. I think we all just set out to do our best. There's something funny that happens 
when you get a job that has a title like CEO. And that is that people sort of assume when your business card changes that things automatically change on a number of different fronts. But at the end of the day, I'm really still the same dad to my daughters that I was before I was the CEO. And I have the same responsibilities here at home with my family that I did before. And being busier doesn't alleviate me of those responsibilities and in some cases of those burdens. And fortunately, it doesn't preclude me from those joys. You know, on on the one hand, you know, I try to come home on days when I'm in town and I make dinner for our family. The pandemic, I think actually in that way was sort of a blessing because we were all cooped up and it meant that we had all four of us dinner every day together at the table. And that dinner was 100% of the time cooked by me. My wife wouldn't argue with that at, well, at all. She's That's just not her, her core competency. She's amazing at a lot of things, but cooking is not one of them. And so, you know, for me, there's sort of a point of pride that I take in going to the supermarket on Sundays, every Sunday, and meal planning and preparing a meal that will gather us around the table. Now, before we you know, celebrate how beautiful and wonderful a Norman Rockwell image that is, I'll tell you that sometimes that's accompanied by, you know, arguments with my younger daughter about what I'm making and frustrations with my older daughter because I might be making meat and she wants to be eating vegetarian. And, you know, so there's, <laughs> we go through the same things that everybody else does with, with uh, preteen and, and, and teen girls. But, you know, with respect to you know any difference that people think there is because you know the business card is different you know i just i just don't see it that way maybe for some people it's different but for me and for my wife and for my kids when i come home from work i'm just dad and the fact that i happen to have a different title on my business card at the office it doesn't really impress them very much. <laughs> yeah i think that for all of us as dads no matter like you said what title we have we we are just dad to them and it doesn't really matter as long as you are giving them the time it, because as i think i've heard in so many different places our kids are always looking at time as the most important piece uh, that we can play as fathers now as fathers to daughters i've heard from many dads that talk about that sometimes it's a challenge and whether it's a challenge of connection a challenge of just being a father and i think that fathers of sons have challenges too but what would you say has been the hardest part for you in being a father to a daughter? I don't know any other experience. And my girls present me with the most challenging hurdles and obstacles. And I think they simultaneously provide me with the greatest triumphs and joys. Each of them have their own very distinct personalities. My older daughter is very dogmatic. She's very black and white. And I sometimes find myself working hard to try and convince her of something or maybe even impress upon her a certain notion. And, you know, she can easily shut down and disavow me of, of the influence I used to have with her when she was five or six. And my younger daughter, she just wants to sit down and watch an Avengers movie on television with me. We both like 
science fiction and we've made our way over Disney plus through the Avengers movies and, and are now on to the X-Men movies. And she's the one who I really look forward to every Sunday sitting down with me to watch football. She loves the Bengals and she loves football. And so we, we spend time on the couch sort of as a decompression moment for the both of us. And well, my older one loves being outdoors. She loves hiking and she loves biking. She likes camping and backpacking. And so she's my confederate on my other big hobby, which is essentially doing pretty much anything in the outdoors. So I can't tell you that I've found distinct challenges other than the challenges we all face. You know, you want your kids to be, or I should say, you try to model the way and you try to be the kind of person who you aspire your children will grow up to be or you know as the case is sort of find themselves partnered with and you know sometimes you can potentially even get obsessed with that and it can be a little bit unhealthy but i just want them to be good people and to have mission in their lives and to feel fulfilled and to feel personally satisfied and successful now as you look at raising your daughters I sometimes hear from dads that there are fears, fears in raising daughters today. What are your biggest fears in preparing your daughters? And you talked about that they have mission in their lives, but what would you say as you look at their future and preparing them for their future, what's your biggest fear? You know, when we were growing up, we would disappear on our bikes all day. And over the course of the hours we were gone before it was dark, we exercised just a high level of independence. You know, we could certainly have gotten ourselves into big trouble, but we navigated those situations, whether they were dangerous or not, whether we were doing things we shouldn't have been or not. I mean, at the end of the day, we were sort of, at least in small doses, responsible for a lot of our own welfare. And in the society we live in today, we don't let our children be so free, or at least I should say we don't in our household. I mean, I don't want to speak for everybody. And I'm sure there are a lot of people out there that still have a setup that allows their kids to run off and play in the woods and, you know, be on the farm or uh, run around the city by themselves. But here at home, we're just not in that same situation. You know, things are very different today. And I want to make sure my kids grow up with the same independence, the blessing that I think my parents gave me in the way they, in the way they treated us. And so we've compensated it for it in a certain way. I mean, uh, right now, as you and I are talking, both of my kids are away at sleepaway camp. And a lot of people say, oh my gosh, how can you send your daughters away for so many weeks? But especially after the pandemic, the last year and a half that we've had, the blessing that we've given them, and it is a blessing, and we're fortunate to be able to afford that blessing, is the opportunity to be out in the woods, roughing it with a bunch of other girls, where the decision about what they eat and how they dress and what activities they choose to do is up to them. We don't do anything other than communicate, for the most part, with our kids via letters in the mail, which means they're having to self-soothe even. You know, they have a bad day, they got to talk to their friends about it, or they got to talk to their counselors about it. They want to tell me about something amazing, they've got to delay gratification and write a letter about it and wait for me to write back to them. And so I'm just really intent on making sure that they somehow develop that independence. Not just not I think that's not just important for kids these days, but I think it's particularly important to grow strong and independent women. And my wife and I have, have spent a lot of time thinking about that and focused on that. I don't know if I answered your question. 
No, 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 you did. And and I think that everything you said there makes a lot of sense. And I grew up in a very similar situation like you did in regards to, you know, you you leave in the morning, you come home at dinner, and that was kind of the life, right? And we did have a lot of independence. I see what you're saying as well, that there's been this this pulling back from a lot of parents to be able to insulate our kids in many ways, while at the same time trying to provide them with independence in some other aspects of life. And then you run into the situation of social media and other things that can put up a lot of other obstacles and can create other challenges for parents and for kids alike. So I said earlier that you are a the CEO and president of a large media corporation. Scripps is a large media corporation. Not everyone knows what Scripps is. So before I ask you some questions, because I specifically want to talk to you today about media literacy, because I think that for parents today, we have to help our kids to be able to, especially from a young age, to sift through the voices and to try to help them to be more media literate. But before we get into that, why don't you tell me a little bit about Scripps in general and allow for myself and others to understand kind of as a corporation what Scripps is. So Scripps is one of the nation's oldest journalism companies, media companies, a 143-year-old company that started out in newspapers and grew to be the nation's largest newspaper chain. We were one of the first companies to get radio licenses and commercialize radios across the radio stations across the country and likewise television stations. When it was the dawn of cable, we were laying coax cable in the ground and delivering cable to people's homes. And we got out of that business and then went to cable programming and created HGTV and then acquired the controlling interest and grew the Food Network, created a lifestyle cable empire. We've been in and out of lots of businesses. We exited the newspaper business. We're today one of the nation's largest broadcast television station owners. We own 61 television stations serving 41 markets across the country. And we have the largest portfolio of over-the-air networks. So you've got this phenomenon happening as people cut the cord. They're also plugging in digital antennas. And when they do that, they discover an entire marketplace of over-the-air channels like Bounce, which is the nation's first African-American-focused broadcast network, or GRIT, Court TV. We just launched two more called True Real and Defy. There's a network we call, have called Court TV Mystery. And so we, we deliver all of those over the air as well as on cable and on digital platforms. So the company has been in and out of lots of businesses over the years, but the center of gravity for the company is really around journalism. I myself was investigative journalist for the first 15 years of my career. You know, just tying it back to the conversation we were just having. I mean, I can't tell you how many stories I did over the course of my career in the newsroom that picked up on what you're saying, the dangers of social media. I think that's probably much to the chagrin of my daughters, why we've really limited much of their access to social media. We held out as long as we could with our oldest, and she's now on Instagram, but not on any of the other platforms. And our younger daughter isn't on any of the social media platforms, but boy, it's tough. And I've had the chance to watch from multiple sides, both as a journalist and now as a parent, how difficult it is to navigate being a parent and growing children with social media around and so prevalent in their lives. There are so many voices out there, and I'm biased. I should put my bias out there right away, as a good journalist does, in the sense that I work for a Scripps company, 
outside of what I do here on the show. But in looking at everything that Scripps has done, you talked earlier about modeling the way. And I I smiled when you said that because one of the pillars of Scripps is model the way. And I think that as we are thinking about media literacy and talking to our kids about media literacy, we have to, as parents, model the way to be able to allow for our kids to better understand what are good sources, but also how do you identify the voices that you actually are listening to, to be able to get the news the way that you need to get it, but also to understand what's truly happening. As you talk to parents, because I'm sure you've come across and have had to talk to parents throughout your entire career about talking to their kids, what are some of the things that you say about sifting through that noise? Chris, I mean, I think we're definitely facing a crisis. Um, It's a crisis uh, that will further affect our democracy and I think have more of an impact than anything else. And it's a reason why I am so passionate about news literacy and media literacy in general. At the company at Scripps, we've been partnered with the News Literacy Project, which is a nonpartisan nonprofit out of DC that really focuses on bringing news literacy curriculum back to schools. Because as schools have moved towards teaching to testing standards, things like civics have become minimized. And there's unfortunately a lot of curriculum out there that doesn't ever expose kids to the very basics of news literacy. A lot is said today about the kind of environment our children are graduating from and into. But the fact is, tying things with our previous conversation, I mean, these kids are graduating into the most complex content marketplace in the history of communication. And many of them don't have the skills to differentiate between public relations and journalism, propaganda and advertising, misinformation or disinformation, legitimate sources from illegitimate sources. And it's an insidious problem because If one depends on being an informed consumer, I use that word consumer broadly, in order to make sure you're an informed citizen, we've got to do something about this. And so our company, as I said, is partnered with the News Literacy Project, and we've launched an annual week called the News Literacy Week with the NLP to make sure we bring awareness of the mission to a broader audience, even beyond kids. You know, I think we all know plenty of adults who have suddenly found themselves, you know, confused by, you know, sources uh, that they see on Facebook. I mean, certainly people I know as well, sharing information that's just patently false, whether it's about politics or about the pandemic and the vaccine. And we've got to re-educate the citizens of this country so that they can be more savvy consumers of content, especially because Uh, They depend so much on social media for their content. So you talk about the fact that we need to be more savvy about the things that we're sharing, the things that we are consuming. What are some of the steps that people should take, parents should take to be able to inform their kids, but also parents and adults should take in general to be able to break down what they're seeing? Individually, we have to be able to do it ourselves before we can share it with our kids. Yeah, look, I mean, I hope that news, the events of the day, current events, uh, history, I hope that these are the topics that are being bantered about at the kitchen table, whether that's 
between the two adults or, you know, more broadly with the family in general, because the first thing we need to do is foster a interest in civic engagement. The second thing we have to do is we've got to hold ourselves accountable. We've got to pause before we share and retweet. We've got to check our sources and verify the source of the information before we decide to spread it on social media. And we've got to have a skeptical eye. And you know that's across the board. We talk all the time about quality objective journalism at Scripps, the mastheads of the newspapers we've been reading forever, the brands that we represent. These are reliable brands. But nevertheless, I still think consumers deserve to understand the perspectives by which journalists are coming at the news and information that they're reporting. And so being a smart consumer is essentially the same thing we've asked all of our kids to do when we started teaching them about the food pyramid or about how to read labels. If you go into the supermarket and the cover of the frozen dinner insinuates that it's healthy, it's not a big deal to flip the box over and actually look at how much protein, sodium, fat, calories are in that before you decide it's the right thing to put in your body. And I think we've got to do the same thing about the content we absorb into our mind. It's really interesting. We're certainly very quick as a people to eat anything without looking at the label and to consume media without understanding from where it comes. But if I came to you and said, I just cooked this brew up in my bathroom and I'd like you to put it into your gas tank, you'd say, I spent $30,000 on my car. I don't know what that is, but I don't want to put it in my car. And yet we'll, in some ways, you know, without any skepticism, absorb things into our body and bring things into our mind without checking the source and verifying its validity. And I'm just asking us to sort of bring that same level of due diligence to the things that make up our body and our mind. And when it comes to social media, the tough part is we sometimes assume that because it's being shared by a friend, it's true, or because it's being endorsed, liked, tweeted by a friend, it must be true or it must be valid. And the fact is, I think we've all now seen that that's not necessarily the case, that we have to really go directly to the source and take a moment to really look at everything with a skeptical eye and determine whether or not it's actual fact-based reporting or whether it's opinion. By the way, both are important parts of the information ecosystem. Whether something is advertising, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of advertising. I don't think there's anything wrong with advertising, but there's a real difference between advertising and journalism or advertorial. You know, understanding what's coming from social media, it doesn't necessarily mean it's bad, but it needs to be understood. I'll give you a good example. Back in the old days, Chris, when you and I were just getting into this business, there was really one way the government could get their information out and widely distributed, right? They would call a press conference, they would share it with the news media, and it was upon us to ask a second question and to challenge the assumptions and then share it out more broadly. Today, police departments, politicians, they all go direct to consumer. And I don't begrudge them that connection. But we should just recognize that just because it's coming from a government official doesn't mean it doesn't deserve a second hard look. And generally, it's the work of journalists in our newsrooms to give that that work a second hard look and to represent um, the role we play in the fourth estate as, as the healthy skeptic that plays the balancing act in its fourth estate role 
to government and to big business. And that's what we expect of our journalists. And that's what the public should expect of us. And that's what the public should seek out when it's thinking about how it assesses its content and its information. Now, there are a lot of voices out there. Outside of the scripts networks, there's other networks, there's there's cable networks, there's print, there's radio, there's, there's lots of places that people can be able to listen. As people are listening, as our kids are listening, what are some of the things that we should be listening for to try to determine or looking for, even on their websites, to be able to identify quality journalism? Well, look, I think I always try to talk to my kids about understanding when somebody or something is trying to influence you. So there's information from which you should draw your own conclusions, and then there's influencing. And I don't think there's anything wrong with opinion pieces, and I'm not even sure there's anything wrong sometimes with understanding that everybody comes at something from a perspective, and they're trying to influence those that read. But I think we have to just understand that, right? I think we just have to be skilled enough to understand the difference between information and influence, fact versus opinion. And so sitting around that kitchen table again and having conversations with your kids about making sure they understand that difference, that's critical. Working with organizations like the News Literacy Project to bring their curriculum into school for eighth and ninth graders so that they can emerge into high school with the skills to understand that just because their friends share it doesn't mean it's true. Those are the critical life skills that unfortunately, I think, have become somewhat pushed aside, and yet they're more needed than ever. So what I always talk to parents about is it's unlikely that they're going to get some of those uh, lessons in the classroom. That used to be a standard part of civics or government. It's possible now that if you want your child to be an informed citizen and a part of an engaged electorate, you may have to do that work with them and for them around the kitchen table. And I'm definitely going to put a link to the News Literacy Project in the notes today so that people can take a look at this and be able to then even potentially go back to their own school systems and see, is this already a part of the curriculum? that your kids are getting, because it might not be, but it might be something that you could then bring forward and ask and say, well, how could we, how could we get this into our school system if it's not already there? Now, I think, I guess one other thing, and you've talked about this just a little bit, but Scripps, as you said, has been doing this for a very long time. You've been, as a, as an organization, you've been bringing news and, and providing news and voices for the news for many, many years. What sets scripts apart from other news agencies, and especially in regards to the direction that you are leading the way, I'm going to say, in being able to provide the company with the vision for the future? We really believe that good journalism is good business. We recognize that right now the role we play in our democracy is more important than ever. And it really all comes back to something our founder, E.W. Scripps, said you know, in the late 1800s, and that was independence in all things. Our job is to provide the information and to give the consumer the opportunity to draw their own conclusions, not to influence them. And we famously adhere to our motto, give light and the people will find their own way. So the intent there is to recognize that ours is not the job to move public opinion in one direction or the other, Ours is the job to inform the citizens and allow them the opportunity, treat them with the respect that they deserve so that they can distill the information we give them and 
draw their own conclusions. And that is a bit unique right now in the marketplace. I mean, you mentioned the cable networks. You know, the cable networks started out, I would say, in a similar fashion. But for a variety of reasons that we can talk about on a different podcast, the cable networks today look a little bit less like news and a little bit more like opinionated talk radio. They're filling the airwaves, they're filling their time with hours and hours of opinion speak. And even folks that our listeners would assume are meant to be anchors are behaving sometimes in a way that would, I think, disappoint and shock their journalism school professors. And so when I think about cable news, I mean, at this point, I'm not sure that cable news spends enough time on news. I think oftentimes, like I said, it's a little bit more like an echo chamber meant to program to, to speak to a particular group, left, right, somewhere along the way. And that's just not the orientation our company has. We really expect of our journalists a high level of objectivity, Though I think complete objectivity is we're all human and that's that's not really possible. That's why it's so important for everybody to be a savvy consumer. But we expect for them to aspire to that level of objectivity and to always meet the standards in quality reporting that that objectivity demands of us. Because going back to what E.W. Scripps said, independence in all things. Well, Adam, I want to say thank you. Now, we always finish our interviews with what we like to call our fatherhood five, where I ask you five more questions to delve a little bit deeper into you as a dad. Okay. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah, I'm ready. In one word, what is fatherhood? Love. When was the time that you finally felt like you succeeded in being a father to a daughter? It's in those moments when I see my kids themselves succeed at doing something that they probably thought they couldn't do, and yet I'm not there to push them along. That's when I feel the proudest. Now, if your daughters were standing here and I asked this question, how would they describe you as a dad? Oh my gosh. I'm fun. I am tough on them sometimes, but I'm also a good balance to my wife and her intensity. I think I have found a level of agility in my fatherhood that has allowed me to be one thing to my older daughter and another thing to my younger daughter because they're very different personalities. And I don't know if they'd say this, but, but I would hope they would recognize that I work really hard at work and at home for their benefit. Now, who inspires you to be a better dad? I had a fabulous example. My father is a terrific dad. I'm fortunate that he's also a terrific papa to my daughters. You know, he made a number of decisions about how he navigated his career that were always decisions driven by the kind of father and husband he wanted to be. Whether it was changing industries so that he could make sure he never had to travel or taking specific jobs that would be closer to home so that he could be home for dinner every night. And so when I sort of think about what I learned from both my mother and father, I, I think that I was very fortunate to have good role models on both sides from both of them. Very fortunate. I'm very blessed that they were great parents and they've made obviously the most profound and lasting impact on my life. Now, you've given a lot of different pieces of advice today, things that I know that I'll think about, but others will think about as well. But in leaving today, what's one piece of advice that you would want to give to all dads? 
I've lost some friends recently, people that I've worked with and that I have been close to over the years. They've passed prematurely. And it's made me also think about maximizing my attention when I'm with my kids. I'm not always the best at it. You know, I'm not always totally focused on just being with them. And frankly, kids are kids. They're not always just focused on being with us, right? I mean, wouldn't it be great if like everybody would put down their devices and that we would all just stare at each other? But I really hope that I can recognize that our time here is limited and that it takes a lot of intentionality to give your kids what they need. And again, I, I don't think I always do that best I can, but I'd like I'm always on a path of progress. I'm always trying to aspire to be better. And I don't always succeed, but I aspire to be better. And I would like to say with my kids, I aspire to be more focused when I'm with them. And I, I think the best advice I can give now that I've sort of seen this from a couple different directions is that we all ought to be as focused as we can, though we're all just so incredibly distracted. It, that focus is the one thing they cannot get from anybody else. So true and not easy to accomplish, but but definitely something that we have to strive for to be able to be present and to be there for our kids no matter what. I appreciate you being here, Adam. And if people want to find out more about you, more about scripts, where should they go? Scripts.com. Our website gives a good history of the company, walks through our mission, and uh, you can click on leadership and learn a little bit more about my background. Chris, this has been so much fun. I do get to do quite a few podcasts. Most of them are focused on asking me questions about television and the over-the-air universe and cable and journalism. And it was just such a pleasure to be able to speak today with you about something so personal and important to me, raising my two daughters. Well, I truly appreciate you being here, your time today, and your willingness to share your own experience, because all of our experiences are a little bit different, but it's always so important for us to learn from each other. And I wish you all the best. Same to you. If you've enjoyed today's episode of the Dads with Daughters podcast, we invite you to check out the Fatherhood Insider. The Fatherhood Insider is the essential resource for any dad that wants to be the best dad that he can be. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual, and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step -step roadmaps, and more. You will engage and learn with experts, but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out at fatheringtogether.org. If you are a father of a daughter and have not yet joined the Dads with Daughters Facebook community, there's a link in the notes today. Dads with Daughters is a program of Fathering Together. Find out more at fatheringtogether.org. We look forward to having you back for another great guest next week, all geared to helping you raise strong, empowered daughters and be the best dad that you can be. We're all in the same boat And it's full of tiny screaming passengers We spend the time We give the lessons We make the meals we buy them presents and bring your A-game Cause those kids are growing fast The time goes by just like a dynamite blast Calling astronauts and firemen 
carpenters and musclemen get out and be the world to them. Be the best dad you can be. Be the best dad you can be.